Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven right here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright with you for the next hour. It's a joy to be with you this morning as the sun continues to rise over our studios. It is a beautiful morning. Let us pray our morning offering, as we always do, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. Let's pray three Hail Marys today through the intercession of Our Lady of Fatima for an end to the violence in Ukraine, an end to the conflict. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's so good to be with you this morning. It, you know, it was a late night last night for me in terms of uh, this new schedule of my life, ever since I started the show here. And being with you on Covenant Network, I was giving a talk to a group of young adults at a parish here in the area about discipline, detachment, and gratitude. It was a lovely evening, and I want to thank the folks out at Epiphany in their Communio uh, Young Adult Gathering for inviting me to come speak. Um, I just have to say, the, the more I've reflected on discipline, the importance of daily discipline, the importance of detachment and then and cultivating that gratitude, you know, not and, and by that, I don't mean going out and doing things so that I'm grateful. Adam, I'm really glad you did that for yourself. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about cultivating a list of taking that time intentionally to look. Here's where God's working in my day. And here are all the things that I'm grateful for. You know, we we say it all the time. We believe every good thing is a gift from God. Right. So if there was even just that simple moment of enjoyment, sipping that first cup of coffee this morning, which I have not had mine yet. So that's not it for me. I'm, mine's a little different so far today. But all of those moments are reasons to thank God. Mine, mine was two little girls sitting outside my room talking about whether they were going to buy lunch or bring lunch. And today at school, the lunch is toasted raviolis. And through the door, I just hear toasted raviolis, toasted raviolis. <laughs> you know, the giggles and the singing and, and the fun. And it was just beautiful. And it's the kind of thing that if I was rushing this morning, I would have missed out on because I would have been stressed and I would have probably been yelling and saying, everybody get ready. We got to go out the door. We don't have time for singing. Get out of here. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and if I was struggling with detachment, you know, especially in the morning, I love to play music. I love to wake up with music. I love to, to blast my Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom while I take a shower uh, I like to sing along. I like to sing in the shower. Who doesn't? Everybody sounds great when you're singing in the shower, 
right? Um, who doesn't like to do that in the morning? But some people don't. My wife is one of them. It, it creates a little tension. Anyway, I digress. Had I not been able to just say, you know what, this morning I need to make sure that, one, I'm doing what needs to be done, and two, leave aside any distractions that are going to get in the way of that, I would not have had the opportunity to appreciate the singing this morning. And that's one of the points that I made last night in the talk that I, I, I just don't think we can hammer home enough. We talk about daily disciplines, and I have 12, or 12 of them, I have 11 that, that I encourage you right now. I'm going to encourage you every day. Wake up. When your alarm goes off, St. Jose Maria Escrivá calls it the heroic moment. Wake up. Mean to get up when your alarm goes off, so do it. Don't don't take that first time of temptation and say, oh, the covers are so warm and comfy, and turn to bodily comfort. You know, not that it's morally problematic. It's not a mortal sin as far as I'm aware in almost all cases to hit the snooze button. I don't think so. Maybe there, there could be a situation where it is. But if you want to resist temptation throughout the day, start right away. Start right away resisting temptation. Pray a morning offering like we just did. Give your day to the Lord. That's number two. Number three, pray the Angelus at 6, noon, and 6. And if you can't do that, pray it at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Speaking of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, pray before and after meals. We all I'm fairly confident we all know the grace before meals. If you don't know the grace after meals, look it up. And if you don't have time to look it up before your next meal, then at least make the sign of the cross and say, Lord, I thank you for this meal, and then make the sign of the cross. It can be as simple as that. Daily Mass, if possible, Sunday Mass weekly, that's a requirement. The Rosary every day, the midday examine. And again, that's an opportunity to stop and to say, Lord, so far today, here's one concrete thing I'm grateful for. It could be simple. It could be profound. Lord, here's one area in my day today where I need your grace because I'm, I'm either failing in what I've done or what I'm choosing to do, and I need your grace to live a life of holiness better today. And a concrete example of today Pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Take 15 minutes a day, at least, for silent prayer, for mental prayer, listening to what God's saying to you. Maybe pray that with Scripture. Every night, do an examination of conscience, full examination of conscience, not just one area of your life today that you need God's grace, but again, everywhere, what I've done and what I've failed to do, that you need forgiveness. And use that to help you prepare to go to confession regularly. And then before you go to bed, Pray those night prayers. Those daily disciplines for me are the anchor points that keep me focused on the important things. And there's a beautiful reminder I received uh, from St. Louis de Montfort as I was preparing for this talk that not only are the prayers efficacious, you know, asking for the grace is efficacious. When we ask God for grace, I I, I firmly believe he's going to give us grace. But the words of the prayers also instruct us. They remind us throughout the day of who we are, and what our place is, and who God is, and what his place is, and why we need God, and why Adam Wright, you know, I'm not God. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this without his invitation, without his help. So it was a beautiful opportunity to speak with them last night. On the show today, we're going to hear some words from Father Hollowell uh, later on, and then we're also going to visit with Zipper Zeppa. He's going to be with us on the show today, as well as Monsignor Michael Witt, who's here to talk about suffering. All that today, but first, uh, before we get started, let's go to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather. Today is the feast day of the 40 martyrs of Sebast and St. Francis of Rome. Born in Rome in 1384, her parents were wealthy aristocrats, 
At the age of 11, she declared her desire to become a nun, but the next year Francis was forced to marry Lorenzo Panzania, commander of the papal troops. Their marriage turned out to be quite happy, though Lorenzo was often sent away to war. Francis found company in her sister-in-law, Venosa, who, like Francis, had a desire to serve the poor. The two became very close and gave a great deal of their time and resources to the poor. At one point, Francis became gravely ill. Distraught, Lorenzo sent for a man who could do magic, but Francis drove him away. Then, Saint Alexis appeared to Francis, and she was healed. She had three children, two boys and a girl, but when the plague struck, one of her sons died. Then she lost a daughter. In an effort to help others who suffered, Francis opened her home and used all of her wealth, selling most of what she owned and begging door-to-door with Venosa to raise more money. Seeing the work they were doing, other wealthy women offered their services to Francis, and eventually Francis founded the Benedictine Oblate Congregation, a group of women who took no vows but simply offered their services in the service to others. She died on this day in 1440. St. Francis of Rome, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We do have a catechist question today, and it's a catechist question with a caveat here. Uh, so here's our question for today. In the book of Exodus, what mountain did Moses receive the Ten Commandments on top of? On top of what mountain did Moses receive the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus? The answer, I'm actually I'll give you multiple choice here. Uh, is it A, Mount Sinai, B, Mount Horeb, or C, Mount Tabor? Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, or Mount Tabor? The answer is Mount Sinai. Uh, what's interesting to me is if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, it's actually a different answer. And I, I was trying to do some research on this. I just didn't have enough time yesterday. But I've heard that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are actually the same mountain, just approached from different sides. But don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure. But I am 100% sure that in the book of Exodus, Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Now, I want to give a little caveat to our catequiz today before we go to these words uh, from Father Hollowell. At the talk last night, I was talking about actual grace and sanctifying grace, and we had a catequiz question recently about the difference between actual grace and sanctifying grace. And I used my example for actual grace that, you know, grace, of course, uh, the catechism teaches us that grace is participation in the life of God. It's help from God, free help from God. Actual grace, I, I describe as that wind that moves our sails so that we go in the right direction, right? We get a little nudge, that little push. Sanctifying grace, though, someone said, well, can you give a definition of sanctifying grace? And I was not prepared for that question. And I, I did an okay job, but I need to do a better job. And I think we all need to have this memorized. So I want to revisit this really quickly here. Paragraph 2000 of the Catechism says, Sanctifying grace is a habitual gift, a stable and supernatural disposition that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God, to act by his love. And that last part there is very important, to enable it to live with God. You know, think about the state of original sin that's, that's taken care of in baptism. Then we're in a state of sanctifying grace. We're in a state of grace, we say. But when we commit a mortal sin, that we cut ourselves off from that. You know, we say, no, thank you. I don't want to be in a state enabled to live with God. So a free decision we make, and we're cut off. Now, actual grace can still move us to seek 
forgiveness. It can move us to repentance. Very often, it's what moves us to go to the sacrament of reconciliation, right? But that's the part we need to know. Sanctifying grace is a habitual gift, a stable and supernatural disposition. It's not something we can do on our own. A stable and supernatural disposition that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God. Sanctifying grace is what changes our soul so that we can live with God. We need it. We can't do this without it. So don't cut yourself off from sanctifying grace. Uh, Speaking of which, we've got some remarks today from Father John Hollowell. He's going to be talking about uh, the prophet Elisha telling Naaman the soldier to go to the river and, you know, thinking about baptism, confession, and mass, that sometimes the instructions might seem easy. Um, we, we might want it to be really hard, but it's not anything we do. It, it's grace. So speaking of grace, sanctifying, and otherwise, let's turn now to these remarks from Father John Hollowell. Welcome back to Roadmap to Heaven. We continue our conversations this Lent about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And I am happy to be visiting in studio with Zipra Zeppa, a longtime friend of Covenant Network and of the show, to talk about some of the things we might be able to add to our lives because we've been subtracting with our Lenten penance. Zip, so good to see you today. Great to see you, Adam. I love Roadmap to Heaven. Oh, we, we, we love it, too. We're a little biased, though, you know, I'll <laughs> hey, be honest hey, about it's that. a great show. Great show. So, Zip, I thought of you when I was thinking about, you know, who could we have come in and talk about some of the things maybe we could add? Father Wade Meniz has talked about this recently for us, that, you know, we have our negative and our positive, that we subtract things negative. It's like mathematics <laughs> uh, in the season of Lent. We give up ice cream, coffee, whatever it may be, and then we also have the opportunity for positive addition. We add this practice or that practice, and I I know one of the things I try to do every Lent is be mindful of the media that I consume. So you're the uh, president and founder of Mater Media, and uh, you worked in media. Zip's a good guy to talk to about this. So I'm curious, uh, let's talk about books first, because that's a large yeah. part of, of what you like in life. Um, you know, maybe instead of reading all of those blog posts or, or constantly checking all of those news sources... I want to go to something that's classic and timeless and is going to help me to grow in holiness. What what are what is Zipper Zepper reading to help him with that? Well, you know, recently I read a couple great uh, autobiographies of saints. One is uh, the Diary of Saint Faustina, the great saint who died in the 1930s. Um, you know, to the world she didn't accomplish anything, and yet to the world she accomplished incredible things. The Lord gave her the message of divine mercy and the image of divine mercy, and she was first saint canonized in the 21st century by JP2 in the year two. 2000, established the Feast of Divine Mercy the week after Easter. And uh, it's 700 pages, that uh, Diary of St. Faustina. It's not a quick read, uh, but it's so pretty great amazing. for the season of Lent where we've got 40 days. <laughs> there you go. Take your time. <laughs> so that's one book that influenced me. Another one was an autobiography by another nun living in a convent who, in the world's eyes, accomplished nothing, uh, St. Teresa of Sioux, The Great Story of a Soul. What a great title and what a great book. Went in the convent at 15, 
died at 24, and yet was named a doctor of the church and co-patroness of the missions, even though she never went on a mission trip. Uh, an amazing saint. You read her life, and you think, wow, these two saints loved God. That's the thing, and that's what we can all get out of that. I'm not going to go to a convent. I'm not going to become a nun, but hey, the way these persons loved God inspires me. So there's a couple of suggestions there. I always think of Lent as a season of journey, that we're on pilgrimage, you know, going out into the desert, as some would say, why? For that express purpose of growing closer to God. And so the example of St. Faustina or St. Therese can be a great example for us on our journey. And I'm glad you mentioned St. Faustina because without fail most years, Divine Mercy Sunday sneaks up on me. We spend so much time in Lent and then Easter and then, oh my goodness, Divine Mercy is this coming (laughs) Sunday. I've got to get ready. And really, this whole season of Lent is focused on Divine Mercy. I mean, the way of the cross is the instrument of Divine Mercy. Yep, absolutely. Another book I'm reading is uh, right now, it's called uh, St. John Paul II, His Five Loves by Jason Everett. Jason and Kristalina, of course, great apostles of purity and chastity, of course. He wrote this book, and it's really, really good. It's The Five Loves of JP II. His five loves are young people, human love, the Eucharist, Mary, and the cross. And he writes this book about how JP II immersed himself in all of these things during his life. It's a fascinating read. I will say uh, time and, and time again that St. John Paul II is the, you know, single-handedly brought the energy and the depth that kept me in the church at a time when all my friends were leaving, when my family, mm-hmm. uh, to some extent, was leaving. But there, I, I remember back to when he came to St. Louis in 1999. Yes. That energy, caught. I, I was caught <laughs> up in it. Um, but then as I actually got to know, you know, it, it's more than just the celebrity of, oh, the Pope's coming. But what does the Pope have to say? And what did St. John Paul II have to say? I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. And yeah. that, that's the truth. All right, so we've talked about books a little bit, and I know there are more out there. Um, What about fiction? You know, I love autobiographies. I love biographies about the saints. You've published some works of fiction before that maybe people would want to check out if they say, hey, I want to read some good holy fiction. Yeah, at Montermedia, we have uh, published a couple books in the last uh, year and a half or so. One is The Deal by Chuck Neff. It's a Catholic novel about marriage, very Catholic, uh, and very real. It's about a guy who wanted out of his marriage. <laughs> he had left the faith, and we wanted out and away from the kids and the wife and everything else. And, uh, you know, he's being a big success in the world, but uh, had to examine his life. And it's got a great surprise ending, a very uh, deep uh, draw to the beauty of marriage and the value of staying in your marriage, even when it's tough. Uh, so I'd recommend it, The Deal by Chuck Neff. Uh, we published a book more recently called Coffee Talk. It's written by uh, two professors, uh, two PhDs out in Boise, Idaho, who were dismayed that the great 15th century classic, The Imitation of Christ, written by Thomas Akempis, is no longer discussed in modern culture. And they said, well, let's write a contemporary novel that'll draw people back in to rediscover this book. And so they did. And it's a compelling read about a retiring professor on a fictitious college campus and a new professor who comes to teach theology and how both their lives are changed through the reading of The Imitation of Christ. 
All right. I love it. Again, listeners who listen to the show regularly, you know that I am a slow reader. And so having maybe one of these books in mind for the season of Lent would be a great project for me to occupy some time. And I love The Imitation of Christ. I got it in bits and pieces through my Marian consecration from St. Louis de Montfort. He goes to Thomas A. Kempis quite a bit with that consecration. And so I I think I might have to check out Coffee Talk this Lent. Now, Zip, uh, we could say, what are some great things to listen to if maybe we're turning the music off in the car? But the answer to that one's easy. Just tune your radio to Covenant Network and, <laughs> and leave go. it there all Lent. So I want to go to, to video, maybe leave our listeners with some ideas of what to watch. I know uh, my wife, every year, she tries to cut back on the streaming services she consumes for watching videos, whether it's full-length movies, TV shows, things like that. And I have been trying to cultivate a list of movies I know I should watch but I haven't yet. And I'll give you an example. I love Lilies of the Field. It's one of my favorite movies. Sidney Poitier, great movie. I've seen it dozens of times, and I never tire of it. But one won the movie, Academy Award, right? 1964, it, I think it was. About the yeah, right there. around there. But I'll tell you, one movie I haven't seen that also apparently won the Academy Award, The Song of Bernadette, about St. Bernadette of Subaru. And I used to work at St. Bernadette Parish. How could I not have seen this movie? So I'm curious, what are some of your go-to Catholic movies? By the way, that Song of Bernadette won some Academy Awards back in the day. I mean, the secular society recognized the greatness of that film. Um, Oh, I don't know. There, There are influential movies. The Passion of the Christ is a classic by Mel Gibson. I watch that every Good Friday to immerse myself in what our Lord suffered. It's only a couple of hours of a depiction of what he suffered, a fraction of what he truly suffered, but it does a great job of bringing you into the pain and what he gave up to atone for all of our sins and to save us from eternal separation from him for all of eternity. Uh, So that's one of my favorites. I like movies that have an upbeat, inspirational tone to them. One thing I've done recently is I canceled my subscription to Netflix, and I changed it to Pure Flix. I don't know if you know Pure Flix. I've heard about this. It's not a Catholic uh, organization, but it's a a Christian organization that has all kinds of movies that are non-objectionable. Now, what they'll do there, they make movies and they support movies. A lot of the movies are made up in Canada. Some of them are a little cheesy. Some of them may not have Academy Award-winning acting in them, but they're all good moral stories. And then they take well-known stories from the secular world, and if there's, like, a lot of bad words you don't want your kids to hear— they take them out. <laughs> so the movie's there, but you just see the mouth moving, but you don't hear the words. <laughs> or they take out a scene or two, so you can still enjoy these movies without being uh, offended and and uh, have your kids uh, going the wrong path. That's something to check out. So, you know, concrete examples, we love those on the show. So Good Friday, Passion of the Christ. Now, I know a lot of people that do this. Um, I, I do want to ask this before we move on here. When we think of watching a movie, like I think of watching a movie, again, upbeat, enjoyable movies, Lilies of the Field, I'm going to pop some popcorn, I'm going to sit on the couch, we're going to have a good time, we're going to be singing along, amen, amen, (laughs) right? But The Passion of the Christ on Good Friday, we're not popping the popcorn for that one. What has worked for you over the years to utilize that movie to lead you in prayer? How do you use that as a spiritual resource? How do you sit down to view a movie like that on Good Friday as a way of prayer? Well, I just think contemplating the passion of the Christ is, is something. I, I meditate at least for a minute or so every day, and many more minutes, many days, about the passion of Jesus Christ, what he offered, what he suffered. Um, you know, just I had the, the great opportunity to go to the Holy Land two years ago, and I walked the way of the cross. 
and not just the way of the cross, but all the places Jesus went in, in Israel. And it was just such a great experience. I reflect back on that. And I think about him as a human being, God and yet human, uh, and all he suffered. And it's I, I just a joy to reflect. Uh, oftentimes the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel, I love to go to Adoration and just reflect on what Jesus did for me, totally unworthy, a worthless sinner, not worthy of anything from God, and yet he did it all, gave it all for me to uh, give me the chance for eternal life. I'm just so grateful when I reflect on the passion of the Christ. I think that's a good segue into our last alternative for media here, which is actually just to turn off media for a little bit this Lent and have some of that time in quiet, whether it's in the Adoration Chapel or in the church, or if you can't make it there, to a prayer space at home, a designated place to just sit in quiet and spend that time in conversation with our Lord, and that is uh, something vital to kind of tune out the noise of life and just listen to God. Absolutely. We find God in the silence. It's so important to find that silence and get deeply in touch with the Lord living interiorly within us. Um, the University of Adoration Chapel is tremendous because we're in his physical presence, but also if we're at home or wherever we are, if we can just get that silence. I'm fortunate in a way to live at home because I have that silence. Nobody's disturbing me, and that's where I get in the deepest deepest connection with the Lord. Silence is so important, absolutely, and, and when we dive into it and we feel the presence of the Lord, it really deepens our spiritual life. I cannot agree more. So I think that's a good place to take a break here on the show. Zipper Zeppa, thanks for stopping by the studio to be with us today. Always great to be on Roadmap to Heaven, Adam. Great to see you. All right. Well, we've got more Roadmap in store after this break. Stay tuned. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. It is always a treat when Monsignor Michael Witt comes to visit us in the studios for two reasons. Number one, uh, his wealth of knowledge about the Archdiocese of St. Louis and uh, really our history here in the Midwest of Catholicism is intriguing and fascinating. And number two, he always brings his dog with him, which I love. I think we should have a dog in the radio station every day. Monsignor, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks. Thanks for welcoming me and uh, Ryan. All right. Well, you know, uh, we are here today to talk about suffering. Um, as we are in the season of Lent, it is a time that, you know, perhaps uh, as a child, Maybe I thought my suffering was on a Friday evening home from school and opening the fridge, what's to eat, and seeing that big deli bag of of salami and saying, oh, that'd be wonderful right now. But alas, it's Friday. Woe is me. Woe is me. Look at my suffering. Isn't it great? And as I, uh, you know, I I was mentioning a few weeks ago, as I've gotten older and my body has gotten older, I have learned uh, new ways of suffering that I did not even know of in my youth. And rather than hide from them, that's a great invitation for us as we journey through the season of Lent. Right, yeah. yeah. I'd like to give two examples of redemptive suffering that I came across actually when I was in the seminary, and it was at DePaul Hospital. And these, both of these cases really opened up my eyes. Remember that I was trained as an historian, not as a theologian, and so I, I had one year of, of uh, seminary theology under my belt, when I was asked to live with uh, Monsignor Shockley uh, downtown at St. Laborious and then do my um, hospital ministry out at DePaul Hospital. So each day I drove out there and 
And one day, um, I was asked to take communion to a number of people. And I went into one room. There was a young lady there, about 25 years old, mid-20s. And she was there because she was bleeding in the stomach. And the reason why she was bleeding in the stomach was that she had been kicked by her husband several times. I came and gave her communion. And um, I'll never forget her. I think her name was Rosario. After all these years, I remember that. And um, her eyes teared up. And and she said to me, um, why is this happening to me? And the this was pretty big. She was actually from Mexico. She had left her family, her, her town, um, her language, and came to the United States to be with this man. And now he had just really badly abused her so much that she was in the hospital. And it was serious enough that uh, the security was actually on that floor for fear that he might actually come and, and find her again. And... And so that's what that this is, and, and then the me. And I didn't have a real good answer at first, and providentially I looked over at the wall, and there was a crucifix there. And I said to her, look at that crucifix, look at Christ on that, on that cross. I said, he suffered and died for us, and now he's asking you and me to participate in that suffering and offer your suffering up to him and unite that with, with the cross. And um, I, I, I assume she did. She got transferred right after that to another location. But later on, I found myself um, studying St. Paul, and I came across this phrase. And you know, I know you know it. <laughs> it's in Colossians, and it says this, And now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Now take that apart. You know, the first part of that, I rejoice in my suffering. That's hard to get around. And then he he says this, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. And, And that shocks you at first. I mean, isn't Christ's suffering, his passion, his death, the cross isn't that sufficient, isn't that enough? And then you begin to realize that what Christ is doing is he's not just giving us the, the redemption, but he's also asking us not to be just the recipient of that grace, but rather to be participants in that. And that's what our suffering can do if we're willing to elevate that and, and return that to him. And, and so that was the example that I had with Rosario. And, um, and then later on, uh, that, that same summer, I, I walked into another room and, uh, I was not going to bring him communion, just a, a visit. He's actually a Pentecostal and, uh, his, his name was Danny Bell and, um, he was undergoing chemotherapy, uh, for leukemia. And when I walked in, he looked up at me and he had shriveled up. This was a, a he had been a big man. He'd lost about a hundred pounds just that that summer and um he looked up at me and he said look what's happened and and he was bald he lost all of his hair it's probably the only time in my life that I really was uh happy about being bald also because um what I I patted my head and I said 
it, you don't look so bad after all. <laughs> and he bust out laughing, and we ended up with a friendship like you wouldn't believe. And then what happens is that every day I could, I, I dropped by Danny's room, and we visited with each other, and he had a Bible, I had a Bible, and we used to do find Bible quotes back and forth with each other. And, uh, and one day, he was all excited, and he said, I got to read this to you. This is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And, and so this is the passage from the fifth chapter, and it goes like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith to this grace in which we stand, and we boast of the hope of the glory of God. And now this is the important part. This is the third verse. Okay? Not only that, but we even boast of our afflictions. We even boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Now, being a Pentecostal, that last part about the Holy Spirit really jumped out at him. And, and I, I saw that, that play that, again, with the, um, the affliction and the suffering and how it can be redemptive. And so, you know, there it was. I just, those two instances really stuck with me uh, ever since. Yeah, you know, as, as you've been saying this, I've been thinking about how uh, you know, St. Paul says— that line that, that confuses me every time, the afflictions that have been lacking in the body of Christ. Yeah. And yet, had this gentleman or this woman or you or I not willingly accepted to say, Lord, I'm suffering and I want to offer you this suffering, then it wouldn't, you know, we would still be suffering, but he's not going to make us accept it for the body of Christ. Only you and I can choose to do yeah. that. So yeah. it, it sounds like in all of this, um, there's a lesson for us, and, and you know, very countercultural. The the world is offering us all of these things to say, "Oh, you're suffering." Well, let's get rid of the suffering, right? You know. Yeah. But what is the lesson for us when it when we find ourselves suffering? Whether it's something dramatic that lands us in the hospital, or perhaps that persistent hangnail that just won't seem to go away and hurts every time we take a step. Yeah, that's 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 for sure. Um, I tell you. About three years ago, I was reading a biography of Loretta Young. And years back, I had the privilege of spending an evening with her, uh, about eight of us together. And uh, she was the most elegant woman. The way she moved was so artful, just absolutely beautiful uh, woman. And as I was reading the biography, um, there was a passage in which she had ended up in a hospital. I think this was in Phoenix. I'm not, I don't remember. Um, but um, she was in the hospital. She was in a lot of pain, and a, a, a religious sister came to visit her and was sitting with her, and, and in the biography mentions that she poured out all this pain and suffering that she was having to this sister, and the response was that the sister said to Loretta Young, she said, don't waste your suffering. And basically what she said then was um, offer it up, and, and as I'm reading his biography, and by now, you know, you talked about the kind of the, the personal pains that come with arthritis and all the other things. Um, 
that reminded me of something the sisters told me back when I was in grade school. I skinned my knee, offer it up. My mom used to say that all the time. She had no sympathy for my, my pains and sufferings. It was like, offer it up. And that's the redemptive suffering that I was talking about with Rosario. That's the redemptive suffering that Danny Bell was going through also. And, uh, and, and that's, I think, the lesson that we can all uh, learn from. It is. I'll offer it up. I remember recently our four-year-old had some, uh, she had a scrape or something, and she just wouldn't stop saying at bedtime. It, you know, it didn't bother her until bedtime. And then she would say, it hurts, it hurts, it really hurts. And I'd say, well, let's say a prayer. And say, dear Jesus, please take this pain for the holy souls. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, at, at this point, I, I, I doubt she has a con- the concept of who the holy souls are and how this is efficacious, but let's start planting that seed now. Yeah, that uh, you know, I can only put so many band aids on it, and they're not going to do anything. <laughs> but we can start. We can start in prayer, offering it up. Well, Monsignor, this is a great reminder for us in this season of Lent. Uh, perhaps whether it's the hunger pains on the days that we fast, mm. or you know, as the weather changes, it's always a time when uh, the the beginnings of my arthritis and my <laughs> musician's hands start to flare up, or my seasonal allergies. Uh-huh. kick in and my sinuses are miserable. Um, it, it's a great invitation to offer it up. Could I ask you to uh, close us out with a prayer here this morning? Mm-hmm. Let us remember that we're in God's holy presence, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you're the source of all blessings, and we ask you this day to shower your blessings upon us, upon all the efforts of this particular radio station, upon all the audience that is listening in at this time. We ask you to take our own diminishments, our own sufferings of various ways, large and small, and unite those to the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ at, at his passion. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We'd like to thank Monsignor Michael Witt and Ryan the dog for being with us this morning. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. I hope you're having a great Wednesday so far, and here with a daily dose of encouragement is Patty Schneier. Well, we're talking about confession this week and how it's the sacrament of a happy heart and the beauty of our church's teachings and the the grace of the sacrament that's given to us by Jesus himself, which he gave to those very first priests right after the resurrection. We talked about that yesterday. Another reason why to go to confession to a priest. Again, many people are asked this question, and we need to be able to have an answer. There are many reasons, but the second reason why I like to go to confession to a priest is because it's physical. Now, many of you know how much I love the theology of the body, and I learned this in the theology of the body, that... You know, all of the sacraments are physical. We experience God in and through our body, through our physical senses. And so I had to realize, yes, I sin with my body. I sin with my actions, the words that come out of my mouth. And I need to physically go physically assume a posture of contrition, physically hear what I've done. That's very important. You know, when the words come out of my mouth and I hear it through my sense of hearing, because it does sound awful. Yeah. And if it's just a thought in your head, you don't actually hear how horrible it sounds. But that's what sin is. It is awful. And I need to hear that. And then hear 
the healing words of absolution. So Jesus was very, very physical. If you think about it, you know, he took mud, he spit on it, he put it in the person's eyes and healed them. And we need to physically experience this healing by going, physically assuming the posture, all the things I I said before, it's physical. And I think that's so important. It's not just a thought, a random thought that we say, oh, I'm sorry, God, but we actually assume physically we are body and soul. And so I think that's important. It's one of the reasons why I love the sacrament of confession. That's a wonderful reflection for us, Patty, the physical nature of the act of going to the sacrament and everything that's involved. I want to thank you for this daily dose of encouragement. Well, as we wrap up today's show, I have a couple reminders for you before we sign off. Uh, Number one, if you like the Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier and you would like to share that with your friends and loved ones, well, the good news is we do replay those throughout the day here on the airwaves. But the the even better news is you can share them instantly by logging on to OurCatholicRadio.org. Now, logging on, you don't even have to log on. Just point your browser there. Just go to OurCatholicRadio.org. Click on programs, and you can find the Daily Dose of Encouragement podcast um, and a lot of great resources on our website. I love our website. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of great prayer resources there. Um, you can find Roadmap to Heaven there as well if you want to listen to it after the fact. So you can learn about the rosary. You can get resources for praying the rosary all at ourcatholicradio.org. Perhaps you work in an office where in the car this morning you're able to listen to us on the radio, but you're not going to get reception inside your office because you might be deep inside of the building and uh, you know where, where cell phone signal and radio waves do not go. Well, you know what? You can stream live at ourcatholicradio.org and listen to the great programming of Covenant Network on our website as well. While you're there, be sure to go over to our events page and sign up to pray the rosary on April 2nd for our priests and thanksgiving for their vocation and for generously responding to God's call. You know, I was relaying the story last night when I was speaking with the young adults about a priest friend of mine. We were talking one day, this was early on, as I decided, you know, I'm going to work hard this year to get into better shape. And uh, we said, oh, Father, how's your day? And he goes, oh, it's been great. I got called at 2 in the morning to go to the hospital to do an anointing, and then by the time I got home, it was, you know, 4 or 5, and uh, I, I got to lay down for half an hour before I had to get up and go over to church at 6 a.m. to unlock the door for Mass and get ready for 6, I think it was 6.30 Mass. And then I had, uh, you know, something with the school kids and then a group uh, meeting with these parishioners. And then I got to take a real quick nap, but not a long one. And then I had to go to this uh, prayer service for this. And, you know, he was going through his day, and it's just boom, 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 left and right, things he had to do. And never with a complaint, never with a frown. He he, he loved it. You know, he loves his priesthood. It's one of my favorite things about him. And uh, he was taking so much joy in, in being exhausted because he was getting to pour out his life into his vocation as a priest. And Beth turned to me and said, okay, he can do all that, and, and you can't go get on your bike? And I'm like, okay. He wins. Um, you know, but I, I was thinking about that, how grateful we are. I was grateful last night that I, w- I was able to have my confession heard at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday evening, regularly scheduled confessions at a parish nearby, right? I'm grateful to be able to receive absolution through the sacramental confession. I'm grateful to receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist and the sacrifice of the Mass, all because a man said yes to God's call to become a priest. So, 
Let's pray the rosary for our priests. I am going to do a 5K on April 2nd, and that has inspired me to try and get 5,000 people to pray the rosary for priests. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. Please go to ourcatholicradio.org slash events. Sign up to pray the rosary for priests on April 2nd. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to go anywhere. We're not going to bombard you with emails. In fact, the only emails you'll get about the rosary for priests will be, hey, don't forget to pray it this week, tomorrow, today, you know, as we get closer to the day. Speaking of prayer, let's close our show with prayer today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'll be back with you on Friday morning for another edition of Roadmap to Heaven with the Roadmap Roundup. and. Dan Vonderhaar and Gabe Jones are scheduled to be with me, so that's always a good time. And maybe we'll have some other guests pop in as well. Who knows? You'll have to tune in to find out. In the meantime, don't forget to share this episode uh, with your friends at ourcatholicradio.org. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.